Praise the Lord. Is God good? All the time, right? It's good to be back. We had a great time with Anna's family in Erie. Weather was Pennsylvania. But I know Gil did a great job. How many are still praying for healing? How many have experienced healing at some point? Praise the Lord. And maybe today's the day that God heals you. You never know. So we're going through our study of Ruth, and we're going to pick it up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. How many of you watch TV, just in general? How many of you, when you watch a show that's on every week, you sometimes hear them say, previously, on NCIS? Well, that's what we're going to kind of do this morning to catch us up. So previously on Ruth, Elimelech, Naomi, and the two boys leave Israel to go to Moab because of a famine in Israel. While they were there for 10 years, all the men die. Doesn't tell us why, just that they did. Naomi hears that Israel is being blessed by God and decides to go back. Her two daughters-in-law go on to go with her, but she persuades Orpah to stay, and Ruth makes a trip with her. They get to Israel, and after 10 years, the women still recognize Naomi and are excited to have her back. But because of her loss, she is still bitter towards God. Ruth sets out to glean from some guy's field who happens to be a relative. And in Ruth chapter 2, the beginning says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man outstanding whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. That was previously on Ruth. And now we pick up the story. We mentioned last time there seems to be a whole lot of coincidences going on in in Ruth's life. Things we call coincidences, I'd like to call God's providence. I think we mentioned earlier that coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. And through God's providence, he is working everything out and according to what he wants to accomplish with Ruth and Naomi. Now, if I'm Ruth, I'm looking forward. I don't see what's happening. All I see is what's happening right in front of me now. You may be going through something that you don't understand what's happening right now. All you see is right in front of you. You don't see what God's doing in the future for you. You only can experience right now. And we may tend to think of the things that happen now as coincidences, whether it's good or bad luck or whatever it might be. But if you're trusting God through whatever you're going through right now, you know that God's in control. And whatever he has in the future for you is part of what's happening right now. How many understand that? That you are what God's doing up until this point. Now, I would think that Ruth is probably struggling in her thought life at this moment. You ever ask yourself why these things happen? I mean, Ruth lost her husband, lost her father-in-law, travels back to Israel, being a Moabitess. In other words, she can't change her past. She's got things in her past that aren't great and she wants to change them. All this sounds not great for Ruth. And if I'm Ruth, I'm thinking, what's, I don't get it, what's going on? But she's trusting that God is the God who's gonna take care of her. And yet, as we read Ruth's life story, we see that all the things that God did brings her to where God has her at the end. So the stuff that she's going through now, she may not understand, may not even like, but God is using each and every step to bring her to where he wants her to be. So Ruth goes out to the field to glean. And verse four says, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. Now remember what Israel was like at this moment as a nation. Far from God, wicked judges, wicked rulers. The Bible says everyone did whatever they wanted to do in their own eyes. Everything was right in their own eyes. In other words, kind of an anarchy. Everyone's doing their own thing, right? But in the middle of all this wickedness, you see some guy who's prosperous, who loves God, serving God, wants to do his best to honor God. It's possible to be able to do that regardless of what's going on around you. Now, if you keep your eyes focused on what the Lord's doing, 
The stuff that's happening around you may still be happening, but it doesn't stop what God wants to do in you. And if you look at, and we, I've talked to several people this morning about the world right now, what's happening in our country. And it's easy to get negative about that and easy to get, you know, talking about that all the time. But what we don't remember is God is bringing us to a certain position. And maybe this is what God is using to get us to where we need to be as believers. And I think that God uses these times in order to bring other people to know Christ. I gave the example that, you know, as America, we kind of, we take for granted the things that we have. And the example I used this morning was when you have a bunch of Christmas gifts for your kids, and they rip open one gift and throw it aside, and they rip open the next gift and throw it aside, and they rip up, and they keep doing that, and they don't appreciate the three gifts they've already opened. And your moms are all, you're all shaking your heads, yeah. I think that's where America is. We rip open all these things that God's blessed this country with and we throw it aside. What's next? God, and we forget all the things that God has done for us and now God's saying, okay, I think we're just gonna take some of those gifts back. So you understand and appreciate what you have. I remember when I was growing up, I got my driver's license and I had a 68 Beetle that was you know, rusted and every winter we, you know, we'd fall apart and in the summertime we'd put it back together again. There was a buddy of mine who his mom bought him a brand new car. Now it was a, now it was, it was a Hornet, an AMC Hornet, if you remember those cars. But it was brand new. And he was the only kid that had a new car amongst all of us. And our, we were sitting on the front of my house one day and he comes up with his own foot. He kicks in the quarter panel of his own car. I don't like this car. I wish my mom would have bought me something else. I'm thinking, dude, I'll trade you. He didn't appreciate the blessing he had. And I think a lot of times we as, as Americans, we just don't understand that and appreciate the blessings that God's given us and we abuse the things that we have. And so God takes those things from us in order to get our attention to make us focus on him. Our job is basically to live and to do right. Not focus on what else is going on around the world. We gotta trust God with that kind of stuff. Because other than voting and doing what we can do, there's not much we can do to change it. All we can do is change us and allow God to use us where we are. And Boaz did not let what was going on around him affect his relationship with God. He kept on doing what he was gonna do and God blessed him for that. He was very prosperous, a man of standing, the Bible says. If we live right and do right, God's gonna worry about everything else. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. So verse four goes on and says, the Lord bless you, the workers called back. And it, it appears that he treated his workers well and that the workers liked him. They appreciated their job, they liked him, and they, they had a good relationship. Boaz didn't let the wickedness of the world affect who he was or his attitude and behavior towards others. Now, I was thinking about that actually this morning. When you watch the news, now we don't watch the news anymore, right? We get upset. But when you watch it, do you find yourself getting angry? And then do you find yourself plotting what to do next? Realizing that you can't do anything, you walk around angry. And someone says to you something that you don't wanna hear, and you take it out on that person. It was easy for Boaz to look at what's going on and say, you know what, I hate this country, what's going on to it, and take it out on his workers, or take it out on his friends. And it's easy to shift our worry and our fear and our anger about what's happening around us onto people who have not responsibility for that. You walk home, you come home from a bad day at work and you yell at your spouse because you had a bad day at work. Or you take it out on the waitress, which don't forget, if you're going out to eat today, treat your waitresses well. I've said before, People who work in restaurants hate Sundays because Christians are the worst going to eat. We're demanding and we're petty. We don't need to do that and we're cheap tippers. 
That's what their view of us is. We need to go out with a, a view of God's blessed me, I'm gonna bless you. I've been really practicing on leaving good tips to bless them. God's blessed me, I'm trying to bless them. We should have a great attitude. Regardless of what's going on, we want people to see Jesus in us, and that's exactly what Boaz was doing. He didn't let what was going on affect his relationship with his workers, he just did his thing and they liked him for it. Now, no sooner does he get there, and he, he looks out and he sees Ruth. Verse five says, Boaz asked his foreman of the harvesters, whose young woman is that? Now, remember Boaz is a boss who owns a bunch of stuff. And he makes periodic visits to each of his fields and each of his harvesters to check on what's going on. So he's, he's always around, but he's not always around. They know he's coming, they just don't know what day he's coming. So he shows up and he, and he makes his visit and it seems like he knows the people that are always gleaning. It seems like he recognizes that it's the same people every day that's gleaning and he knows his harvesters and his slave girls. But at, at this point he, he sees Ruth, who he doesn't recognize, and says, hey, who's that chick over there? He doesn't say this, but I'm thinking that she stood out among all the others. Not only because he didn't recognize her, but he, he from this point on, he is focused on Ruth, on any of the other gleaners. It's at this point that some commentators say it was for him, love at first sight. And we're gonna hold on to that little tidbit for later. So now he focuses his attention on her and not the harvest. And notice the question he asks. He asks, whose young woman is this? He wants to know if she belongs to anybody. Is she married? Is she you know, related to anybody, ancestry? What's her clan? Who is she? Who does she belong to? You want to know, did he ever ask that about any of his other gleaners, the people that work with her? We don't know. It doesn't say. But he also says, whose young woman is that? Now, is she so much younger than all the other people that are gleaning? You know, gleaners were usually widows, and so we assume that maybe widows were a little bit older than Ruth. Does, she, does he focus on her because she's younger than the rest of them? And whatever her age, I think there's something about her that gets his attention. So let's look at the dots that are kind of forming here. Out of all the fields in Israel, Ruth goes to Boaz's. Out of all the days that Boaz could visit this particular field in particular, he chooses the day when Ruth starts. Then he arrives at just the right time to actually see her clearly. Now, I'm assuming that these fields are bigger fields. And I, you know, I, we drive around here, you see farms and stuff. Say it's an acre. If someone's standing at the very far end of the acre, I can barely even see that they're there, let alone recognize any detail about them. Well, she seems to be in a position that is very close, close to Boaz, in the right position, at the right time, at the right field, when he notices her. Again, all of these things are lining up. She wasn't in the shelter. She didn't get tired and go home. It was the perfect time for him to arrive. I like one commentator says this, when you commit your lives to the Lord, whatever happens to us happens by way of appointment, not by accident. All these dots were connecting and is a part of God's design for Ruth. Things that she didn't think anything of that were normal everyday situations, God was putting them together to get her to a certain point. Now if you're old enough, you can look back on your life and see what are the dots in your life that God put together to get you to where you are today. And if you're young enough, maybe you're on the front end of what God's doing. You don't see any pattern yet. But as you get older, and us older folks can tell you, there's a pattern that you're gonna see that God was there every moment of the day. Maybe you're like Ruth and you don't see the dots until maybe later. I'll give you an example of the dots in my life. Ann and I were in college together. She was two years younger than me, my brother's two years younger. They were friends, her and my brother. 
she comes over, he brings her over to my apartment to visit just to say, hey, this is my friend Anna. And she comes to my apartment and it, we were pigs, okay, in college. It was, a, it was a mess, it was me and three other guys, it was just a typical guy's apartment, it was, we were a mess. And she's a, she was a neat freak, still is. So, so she comes in the apartment and it's like, ooh. And that was, and I didn't see her much after that in college. So we, we get out of college and my brother says to me, hey, you remember Anna? Yeah, okay. He says, I'm gonna go visit her tonight. We're gonna do something. You want me to ask her if she wants to go out with you? I said, sure, yeah, why not? So they get together and they go out and, they, and she, he says to her, you remember my brother? She says, yeah. Would you wanna go out with him? No. <laughs> Don't have him call me, no, no. So he comes home and says, yeah, she wants to go out with you, call her up. <laughs> so, then it was the, you know, the typical first date and she's thinking, I'm gonna kill his brother, first date's over. Then, it was, this was Christmas time, and I, she, somewhere during the date she told me that she didn't have a Christmas tree in her apartment. So I went out and I cut one down, I brought a live tree to her place. And I get to the door, and she's in there with her old boyfriend, who she was breaking up with at that time. Not for me, but for just to break up with him. So I drag this tree in, and like that was it. She's, ah, he's so nice. And so we went out again, and, and again, and now, 38 years later today, actually, married, you know? So I didn't see it then, but I can look back and see everything that God was doing to get me to where I am today. So he sees Ruth, he catches, she catches his eye, he wants to know more about her, as any guy would. Verse, seven, verse six, the foreman replied, she's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. Remember, the term Moabitess is kind of a, not a dig, but a reminder that she's got a past, that she can't change. Verse seven, Please let me, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning until now except for a short rest in the shelter. So the story about Naomi and Ruth is all around town. Everyone knows about it. So it must have been really a big deal for Naomi to come back. We don't know much about her past but everyone knew her, everyone knows the story, people are spreading this story like wildfire. And notice how the informant did not comment on her appearance, but on her work ethic and character. What's the Bible say? Man looks on the outward, God looks on the heart. I think that was what God was doing here. So here's where it kind of gets theological, Ruth has been used as an example or a type of Christ. Now, when the Bible refers to something as a type or we refer to it as a type, it's, it's meant to symbolize something that appears to be like Jesus. So Boaz is like a type of Christ. Ruth is like a type of us. She's a Moabitess and therefore unwelcome in God's house. Remember, God put a curse on them. They can't come in. It can't be a part. So she, was, she had nothing to offer Boaz. She couldn't ask him for help, she couldn't ask him for grace or mercy. God already said he can't come in. In fact, she wasn't even supposed to be there. If she ever got any kind of blessing or any kind of help, it had to be because Boaz was doing it for her. And he did. Verse eight says, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and following after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you, and wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the jar, water jars the men have filled. We as sinners are equally unwelcome in God's presence unless God reaches out to us. And God did that, Romans 5.8. God, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These two are my favorite verses in the Bible. John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Ruth didn't choose Boaz, Boaz chose Ruth. 
Now we mentioned earlier that Boaz was in love with Ruth at first sight. He took the first step for her. He wants to protect her, provide for her, keep her safe. God takes the first step for you and for me to provide for us, protect us, and keep us safe. He did that through what? Christ. Verse 11. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you should notice me, a foreigner? She knew, undeserving of such kindness, and she was grateful for what he was blessing her with, for his grace and his mercy. You know what? We are also undeserving of God's grace and mercy. Everything that God blesses us with is because God did it. We've not earned any of that. So therefore, we should also be grateful for God's mercy and his grace. One of my, I say this a lot, that God is better to me than I deserve him to be. I think we can all say that. We look at our lives and how sinful we have been and we are today. God is better to me than I deserve him to be. Boaz was better to Ruth than Ruth deserved him to be. Verse 11, Boaz replied, I've been told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Again, we mentioned the stories all around town. Don't know how it got there or why it got there, but everyone is speaking about it. He heard it from this person, he heard it from that person. But notice what spoke to him. It was her character. What she did was more important than what she said. Now we mentioned that Naomi must have been a prominent lady when she lived there. For even 10 years, she's still the talk of the town. People notice how you live. People notice your lifestyle. People that you may not know notice you. People that you may know are watching you. I'm thinking that Ruth was probably not a friend with the townspeople at that moment. It was probably her and Naomi. She wasn't hanging out at the beauty shop with all the ladies talking about things. No one, she didn't talk to a lot of people. But yet people knew and watched her lifestyle. Boaz pretty much said to her, I don't, know, I don't know you, and you don't know me, but I hear a lot about you. People hear about us. People watch us. What do people say about us when we come into their presence? Are you a peaceful kind of person? Are you an antagonist? Are you cantankerous? If I were to ask people what their first impression of you is, what would they say? Oh, he's a great person. Or he's a jerk. (laughs) Do you have integrity? Do you have good character? When no one's watching, and according to Ruth, I'm sure she thought no one was watching her. And yet, Boaz heard about her, and Boaz knew her. And the guys who were running the field, they knew her too, and they said, she's a great worker. In other words, what's your testimony? What can people honestly say about you? Not what you say about you, but what do people say about you? When I was going with my ordination, I probably shared this before, the district, they want letters of recommendation. They wanted three from people in my church or three Christians, and they wanted three from people that were not Christians that I knew because they wanted to hear what people outside the church thought of me. I was sweating. I passed these letters out and they wrote them anonymously and sent them back because the district wanted to know what other people that I didn't associate in church with, what was my character to them. Because they figured they'd get good responses from the people in church. They wanted to hear what people outside the church were saying. What are people outside of your fellowship and your church family, what do they say about you? Another aspect of of Ruth is that she gave of herself to help Naomi without wanting anything in return. 
You know what I thought about when I read that verse? I thought about you. You're our resident shuttle service. You drive people back and forth to hospitals and doctor's visits, and you sit in waiting rooms for hours, and nobody knows except you tell me. So now I'm telling everybody else. Sorry. <laughs> nobody knows, and you all have the same thing, except you don't share them with me so I can blab them. So you do it because God sees it. What do we do that only God sees? Ruth, God saw it, and to be honest, he's the only one that really counts. The Bible says if we do something in order to get accolades here, then that's your reward, that's what you get. You get a pat on the back. But if you do it, then no one sees it, and God sees it, and you're doing it for God. The Bible says God will be the one that pats you on the back when you get there. And I gotta tell you, that's the kind of pat I want. What's God doing, what's God gonna say when I get there? First Matthew 25, 40 says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. How many think that your work for the Lord goes unnoticed? And it might. But God keeps good records. Doesn't matter if people notice what we're doing, if we do it for the Lord, because God's keeping the ledger. And the Bible says God will reward us for what we do. Whether we get accolades, it's okay to get them. You just don't do your work to get them. Verse 12 goes on and says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. This is Boaz speaking. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And we see the rest of the story, we know God does exactly what he said he was going to do. But God can only help you if you come to him for refuge. The Bible says she left Moab because she knew God was working in Israel. And the God of Israel, who was in Israel, was going to be her refuge. We have to go to God for help. Verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Now remember what he mentioned for her to do. Walk with his servant girls. Now there was an order of gleaning when they did this. It would be the harvesters, the guys that worked for Boaz. And then behind him would be Boaz's servant girls. And then behind them would be anybody else who was coming to glean. So she would have been in that third group. But Boaz says, no, hang with the second group. In the second group, you'll get better, better gleanings, better food, and you'll be protected by the girls that are with you. And what he's doing is he's drawing her to himself. The Bible says the goodness of God draws people to repentance. How often do we not abide by that? When God blesses you, what's your first reaction? Should we say, Lord, I'm not worthy of this, thank you. It leads us, God's goodness should lead us to repentance, understanding that what we are blessed with, we don't really deserve. I mean, you may work for it, you have a job and all that kind of stuff, but ultimately, God's a provider. And when God's been good to me, I realized that it was God being good to me, not just me being good to me. Or when something good happens, do we just take it for granted and say, awesome, that was good luck. Boaz is drawing her to himself by being good to her. And notice it's Boaz that's doing the drawing. She's not the one trying to work her way into Boaz's life. He's the one that's drawing her forward. Boaz knew that she was ultimately trusting the God of Israel. The Bible says that no one comes unless the Spirit of God draws them, the Father draws them. We don't try to work our way into the kingdom by doing things. The Bible says that the Father draws you in, keeps drawing you. 
We say at the end of most services, if you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. God's putting that thought in your mind. He's drawing you. He's giving, putting things in your life or in your mind or your situation to get your attention. He's drawing you in. He was, Boaz was drawing Ruth and he was being good to her, drawing her closer to himself. But he knew that she was only there because she trusted God. She wasn't trusting Boaz, she was trusting God. Now she didn't know much about the God of Israel, but she trusted that he was a good God and would take care of her. She was no longer a foreigner or an outcast, but she had come to take refuge in this God that she trusted. When we come to know Christ, most of us don't know very much about it other than the fact that we heard the gospel and we responded to it. And as I said before, it's like a light bulb goes off in your head, you get it, but you know little about who God really is other than the fact that he's drawing you and you want that relationship. God was using Boaz to bring his blessings and provisions to Ruth. God uses people to bring about his blessings to others. I've mentioned before that there's a dynamic when you meet together as opposed to watching it. There's a dynamic in, in a church attendance because you may have something to say to somebody else that blesses them this day. Not what I say, not the music, not, but maybe you and someone else talk in the foyer or you talk downstairs or you pray with someone outside. God uses you to bless other people. Verse 14 says, in mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip in some wine, vin- and dip it in the wine vig- vinegar. Again, who's doing the drawing? Boaz. He's reaching out to her, not the other way around. He's extending his goodness to her. Ask yourself, before you came to know Christ, did you recognize the blessings in your life as being from God? Or did you think you just had good luck, good skill, or whatever you might attribute to yourself? As believers, we recognize that now and we appreciate God's goodness and that leads us to want to live a holy and pleasing life to God. Does it not? Every time you realize that God's blessings, you want to live better. You want to have your life count for something, that it matters that you're here. Also, him inviting her to eat with him was a big deal. Now, today it would be no big deal, but then it was a big deal. It was practically unheard of. A man of stature to eat with a servant girl. No, never happened. And to bring her with the other male harvesters, unheard of. The only thing I could think of as an analogy was David and Mephibosheth. You know that story? Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. I'm going to say that word wrong. I know it. Was lame in his feet. No other relative. And David said, I got to find somebody in Saul's family that I can bless who doesn't deserve it, but I'm going to bless him. And they said, oh, this dude over here, Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. Yeah, bring him in. He's going to eat with me. He's going to receive all my blessings. I'll give him back property because I want to honor Saul. Mephibosheth didn't, didn't deserve it. He was just sitting out there. And David took the initiative. Exactly the same thing as Boaz taking the initiative for Ruth. Blessing her, bringing her in, being a part of everything. It was all Boaz is doing and she was a recipient of his kindness. Verse 14 says, when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. I thought about the story of when Jesus says, if you're invited to a feast, Don't automatically sit at the head of the table. Luke 14.10 says, but when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. That's exactly what he was doing with Ruth. He was saying, don't sit at the bottom. Bring, come on and sit with me. Sit with the, the main guy. Come up to the head of the table. And that position honored her among everybody else. And it showed the people that were there that she was to be honored as well. And remember, she had no privilege, no right to be there. 
not worthy of anything that Boaz was doing, but Boaz called her. We have no right or privilege, and we are not worthy of that position that God has called us to. But God has brought us to where we are. Ruth 2.15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave the orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull up some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. A couple things about that verse. Boaz, Boaz, as the landowner, was responsible for everything that she got. Every, Every grain, every kernel, he was responsible for it. But point two is Ruth still had to do her part to receive the blessing. He didn't just drop it at her doorstep and say, go home, I'll do it for you. He said, I'll leave the stuff for you to pick up. God's our provider. He graciously provides our job and the ability to work and the smarts that we need to do our job. But you still have to work and use those abilities to receive God's blessing. Now, in the current economy, it's not working very well. But normally, how it's supposed to work is you go to work, God gives you the job, God gives you the ability to do the job, you receive your paycheck as your ability to do the job, you bring it home, that's how God provides. He uses people to provide it, uses you to provide it. He's not, forget what's happening in the economy. You're not gonna get a check in the mail from God. How many know that? You, you might, but generally he works through jobs and employment. He called, Boaz could have told his men just to give her this stuff. You pick it for her, you put it in baskets, and I'll have her wait here for you. No, she had to go out and he had to pick the stuff. God could send you just money in the mail every week without having to work. But that's not how it works. God uses us, he gives us the ability to do it, and the, the satisfaction that when we're done doing it, that we've done our best. How many of there's satisfaction in, in what you do? We, my son-in-law, we replaced our old pool with a new pool yesterday. And as we started this, I knew it was gonna be a big project, and I thought, I really just wanna blow this off, I don't wanna do this today. But he came over and said, he was excited, let's do it. Okay. But now, it's done. And I'm really happy that it's done. And I look back at that and say, you know what? You did a pretty good job. Chris, he did most of the work. It's good to have a young son-in-law. <laughs> but there's, there's satisfaction. The Bible says you can take pride in doing something without comparing yourself to somebody else. You can take pride in the job that you do. Whatever it is, whether it's a ministry or a job or Whatever it is you do with your kids, you can take pride in that. Just don't compare yourself to somebody else while you're doing it. Now, verse 17 and 18 goes on. says, Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. Now, some commentators say an ephah is about 50 pounds. I'm not sure. She carried it back to town, carried a 50-pound satchel back to town. And her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Notice the shift in Ruth's position now. Ruth started out as a dependent, and now she became the provider. She could have said to Naomi, hey, go glean for yourself. I picked up enough, I worked hard for this. But what did she do? She gave out of what God had blessed her with. Twenty of. My notes say, I want to stop here for now. <laughs> but I feel like we should go on. But I don't have any notes for that, so we're going to end here. But I, wanna, I do want to close with this. We look at Ruth's life and we can see the, the hand of God every step of the way to bring her to where she's going to be. And we can see how God's orchestrating all of this to eventually bring out a blessing for Ruth and Naomi. At this point, Ruth still has no idea that God is behind all of it. And for her, all she sees, it's, it's work, 
I'm, I'm, it's, it's good work. I'm, it's, I'm being blessed here. But she is trusting that whatever's going on now, the Bible says she knows Romans 8, 28, even before it was written. These things are going to work out for her. Don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm trusting that God has got this in order. Even though I, she doesn't see what's happening, she trusts God's going to figure it out. And how much is that for us today? Where are you at right now? You may not think that God has anything in control. I look at the country and I think, God is, there's nothing in control. But how many know that God's in control of everything? Nothing happens that God doesn't either permit or do. So, you may not feel that God has things in control in your life. And you may not even see what God is doing in your life at this particular moment. That's okay. If you're faithful to do the little things that God puts in front of you, like gleaning, you're going to see how God directs your path from there to where he wants you to be. When I look back on my life as a Christian, never would have thought, A, I would be here. Never thought I'd be saved. Never thought I'd be a preacher. Never thought I'd be here. But God had all these little dots in line. First thing that, when I first became a Christian, the first thing he asked me to do was teach a Sunday school class for 7th and 8th graders. I thought, okay, that's not bad. So me and a buddy of mine, we, we taught the class. It was a good class. In fact, I, I shared this morning that all those kids in my class are now 30-somethings, and some of them are in ministry, all of them are married, so they're passing me up in age. Then after that, the next thing they asked me to do was teach an adult class. Now, to give you an example of how nerve-wracking that was, the guy whose video we've been watching on Wednesday was in that class. He's... He's seasoned. I'm a novice. I'm sweating bullets because I'm teaching Tiff. <laughs> That's got to be a joke. Then God put me in the sound booth. Then we went to Florida. I went to a church in Florida, a pastor. I told him, hey, I'm here to help whatever you need I can help you with. He says, well, as a matter of fact, I'm having surgery. Can you preach for a month and a half of Wednesdays for me? deal so it got me speaking in front of bigger crowds because up until that point in my home church there was five of us guys on staff and you know as an assistant the only times you get to preach are Memorial Day weekend Fourth of July weekend Labor Day weekend that's that's it and so and on those weekends you got like five people that come so that was at night not in the morning at night so all those things that were lined up brought me here. I didn't see it then, I see it now. And I don't know what God's gonna do in the future, but I trust that if he brought me here, he's gonna bring us there. So where are you at? Along that little dot line, where are you? The biggest blessing you know is that whatever God puts in front of you to do, do it. You have no idea what that's gonna take you to. That may be the end of it. But more than likely, it's going to be a stepping stone to the next thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing. I said to my wife, do you believe we have a 37-year-old daughter? No. When my parents, when I was a young kid, my parents would, my dad was, he was the one behind this. He would say, I'd ask him how old he was. Well, we're both 21, okay? My dad didn't get married until he was 33. So he's telling me he's 21. And so I'm getting older and older and I'm telling my teachers he's 21 and I'm like 10. <laughs> and he keeps saying, and I, I finally, <laughs> takes a while, but I finally figured it out. The, where was I even going with that? The point is, <laughs> you don't know what God's gonna do with what you have in front of you. But if you're faithful to do the little things the Bible says, then the next thing, the next thing's gonna come. The next thing, the next thing. And when you look back on it, you're gonna see how, and, and the, the, the best part of it is, 
The best part is not that you did it, but knowing that God was doing it through you. Man, the God of the universe chose me to do whatever it was. And, and the first time I ever got that experience, and I promise I, I will close with this one, the very first time I ever preached to anybody, it was a, a pastor was away and I, at a different church down by our home. And man, I had everything scripted out. I basically read from my notes. And I remember saying one or two things that were just not in my notes at all. Just come out. And after the service, someone came up to me and a lady came up and she says, you know, when you said this, it really ministered to me. And I realized it was the one thing I didn't write down. It was the thing that God said through my mouth that ministered to her. And that meant more to me than the rest of the sermon because God did it. And when you look back and you see what God's done, it's not that you did it, it's that God was with you while you were doing it. Wow, I walked out of there, okay, this is cool. I love this. And the only time you can say that is when you, when you start doing the little things that sound insignificant, but you realize, man, God was there with me doing it. God did it. It was you just being in the right place that God opened your mouth or God used you to do something that he wanted to do and he chose you to do it. Amazing. Would you stand as we close this morning? Close your eyes and bow your head for a moment. Never want to take for granted that everyone who sits in a church actually knows Jesus personally. I did for three years and everyone thought I was a Christian. But Jesus knew I wasn't. So I'm going to not assume that everybody here knows Christ personally. The thing about knowing Jesus is you come to a point in your life where you realize that in and of yourself, you have no good thing to offer God. You can't do anything good enough to merit being a Christian, being God's family, and being promised of heaven. The great news of the Bible says that Jesus did all that for you. All the punishment that we should receive because we are sinners and we blow it all the time. Everything that we should rightfully get as judgment, Jesus took all that on the cross. When Jesus says it's finished, that means it's finished. There's no more sacrifices left to make for sin. And the Bible says that all we have to do is simply trust and believe in that. Not just believe it in your head, but you've got to believe it in your heart, which means it changes your life. If you're here and you're not really sure what we're talking about, but you know you're missing something, you, you go through the motions and you're doing everything that you think is right, but you just, you're missing one step. And that step is you really haven't trusted Christ to be your Savior, to be the one that's taken your punishment, your sin. And I mentioned earlier that if you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. He is drawing you. He's wooing you. He's doing whatever he needs to take to bring you in so that you make the choice. And it's a choice you have to make. God's not going to make it for you. If you don't know Christ personally, and I mean you can look back at a day in your life that you know the day and the hour that you made this commitment. It's not I think so, I might, I don't know. The Bible says these things are written that you may know for sure you have eternal life. And if you can't pinpoint a date where you did that, then chances are pretty good you need to do that now. So if that's you and you really want to know Christ, you don't know everything there is to know about everything, but you want to know who Jesus is. I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you. That's why you're here this morning. All right, I'm going to assume that each one of us knows Christ personally. Father, thank you. Lord, we thank you as we look back on our lives and we see what, you're, what you have done and what you're doing now. We know that your hand is upon us and we know that you redeem 
everything in our life and you bring it back to where you want us to be. Your word says, all things work together for good to those who love God. Even the mistakes we make, even the sins we make, God can turn them around and bring us to good. And Father, we are so grateful, so grateful that you chose to use us. Who are we, Lord, your word says? Who is man that thou art mindful of him? Who, who is Jeff Bender that you care about me, that you want to use me? Who am I? I'm nobody. Each one of us here is, is nobody. But you choose to use us. You want to use us. You want to have that relationship with us. And Father, all we can do is thank you for it. So Father, I pray that you would fill each person here with that confidence and that assurance and that excitement knowing that whoever I am, God wants to use me. God wants to do something through me that only I can do. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Let each one of us leave today filled with that excitement and that anticipation of what great thing God wants to do through you. It may be a little thing like saying one sentence in a sermon. It may be one prayer, one conversation that God chose you to make. So Father, I pray as we leave today that we just we go out with the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit that the people we're praying for, Lord, you open those doors and you give us the voice and the words to say to lead them to you. And we believe that these are the last days, so Father, we want to be more excited and more energetic and more discerning about what you want us to do so that when our life is over, we can really hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. So Father, bless us as we leave today and allow us to see and hear great testimonies of how you use us in whatever situation you draw us to. And Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night, our new lesson, and then next Sunday, if not able to Wednesday.